I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's podcast. Today, we're going to catch up with Stan Harris, the president and CEO of the Louisiana Restaurant Association. We last spoke in November of 2020 about the existential crisis facing New Orleans restaurants because of the COVID-19 pandemic. This week, we want to find out how the industry has fared over the last eight months. Stan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be back with you. Appreciate it. All right. So since March of this year, it feels like New Orleans has had drive market visitors again. I know we're still waiting for the return of meetings, cruises, international travel. But what would you say is the state of the New Orleans restaurant industry right now? Probably the simplest word to describe it is challenged. Um, you know, there there are pressures upon the operations that They've probably never gone through before unless it's uh, the folks that operated right after Hurricane Katrina. You've got uh, workforce pressure in not only finding people to work. Uh, you've seen the cost of hiring those people get more expensive. Uh, you've got commodity pressure, as you've seen a lot of the center of the plate proteins, seafood, crab meat, uh, beef, chicken, uh, all of those products go up. And even something is is ingredient driven as frying oil. We've seen that go up in some cases double or triple what it was just a couple of months ago. Uh, uh. Just due to some supply chain issues. So, you know, if if you can if you can solve some of those problems uh and, and have some permanence with those solutions, then I think that you you can recover a little bit quicker. But you know for the full service operators, they're still struggling with about fourteen or fifteen months of operating losses. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't get a whole lot of relief from the government when it came to rent and things of that sort. So they've still been paying to stay alive. And the Restaurant Revitalization Grant Program, while that was well con- well uh, conceived and thought out, it was probably poorly executed in how they set aside the first three weeks of it. And there's some still some confusion on it. But um, I still think we got a lot of restaurants at risk and bars at risk uh, because, quite frankly, they're operating at compressed hours. And many of them are operating on compressed days of the week. Um, we'd love to get them to a back to the, they have not only the, the, the option because there's no restrictions, but also have the option to be able to have the staffing to meet those guest demands. Uh, it's interesting. I, I overnighted in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago for an event and we were trying to find a drink at 10 o'clock at night on, at, on a Tuesday. And that was somewhat of a challenge. We walked a couple of blocks because we were diligent, but we found. <laughs> It was a challenge you were able to solve. Uh, it was one we were going to solve. Absolutely. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. You mentioned full service restaurants were dealing with, did you say 15 months of operating losses? Yeah. Well, if, if you think about it, the, the quick service restaurants and fast casual restaurants and, and, and those places could pivot more quickly to delivery, could pivot more quickly to using a drive through if they had a drive through. And they typically have food that is packaged to travel. Your full service restaurant, your neighborhood bar, your pub, the place that you go grab a burger on the corner, 
a lot of them had serious operating restrictions and whether they could reopen as a conditional restaurant or not, that was something we worked with ATC to get that more expanded. That's been a program that's existed for years. It just really wasn't used very much uh, because once you become a restaurant conditional, you're really operating under the restaurant rules, not the bar rules. So smoking disappears. So again, there's some, there's some challenges around uh, those types of things, but, you know, people are resilient and they don't want to tell you what they're struggling with. But I talk to restaurant and bar owners every day and they just want to get back to what they consider normal. And and what's happening to them right now is there's a lot of compression. As you mentioned, leisure travel. A lot of those folks are coming in on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and here Sunday and departing. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have enough people to take care of them at those high demand times. And the other part is a lot of our French Quarter and tourism area, warehouse district restaurants, I mentioned compressed days, compressed hours. You know, most of those restaurants usually serve till 11 o'clock at night, and they're closing at 9 now. So if, when in November when we talked, there was restrictions, uh, like, you know, uh, capacity limits. There was masks still. There was all sorts of stuff going on. It sounds like now it's a whole different set of challenges, but it's still challenges. Yeah, there's no question, Rich. It's, it's, it's a different set of challenges. You know, when the, the good news about this is, is that we've opened safely. We've, we've reopened the industry. We're not having huge spikes in cases, hospitalizations at their lowest level of this entire pandemic. We worked with the governor's team to try to produce a shot for the shot promotion. I tip my hat to them for the <laughs> shot at a million that they rolled out yesterday yeah. to try to get more people vaccinated because it is part of the solution. You know, it's not a political question to me. It's a health question. I'm one of those guys that gets a flu shot every year because I'm around a lot of people. And I remember the last time that I had the flu, the roots of my hair hurt for about two weeks. Mm. I, don't, I don't ever want to feel like that bad again. So, <laughs> so I, I, I want to do what I can to, to help. But you know, we're, we're starting to see a, a return of that leisure travel. There's no question the stimulus checks brought some people to New Orleans who may not have been here before. So we were able to open our market up to them. We've had a couple of smaller events at the convention center, a couple of different smaller meetings. Uh, we've got a, a couple of bigger events coming this fall. We've got the National Association of Chiefs of Police. We've got the ophthalmologist coming a little bit later in the fall. We've got French Quarter Fest in a three-day version. We've got two three-day versions of Jazz Fest. So that's going to generate, uh, normally for us, fall is a very important time of the year because we've got college football. We've got professional football. We've got a lot of different things going on, a lot of meetings. Now we're adding these events up on top of it. So I'm just hopeful we can get some of the workforce back so that we can help our hotels, our bars, and our restaurants uh, get back up to full staffing. I'm wondering about winners and losers in, in over the last year and a half. Are there certain categories of people that came out really well in this whole situation, maybe like actually had innovations and such? And then there's people who are just by nature of the way they were built didn't fare as well. Yeah. I, again, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, let's, let's pick something that's Louisiana based. If you're raising Kane's chicken fingers, yeah, you had an amazing year last year. Right. Because you moved everything to the window. Uh, you went from 65% to the window to 100. You closed right. your dining room. Um, you you allowed some curbside pickup. So all of a sudden, your model, from a labor standpoint, you didn't need people to clean and keep your dining rooms up, and you were able to put those people so you could f- focus on efficiency of delivering of that product, and the product travels well. 
uh, a piece of sautéed fish, a sizzling steak, um, <laughs> you know, a, a, a beautiful cassoulet probably doesn't travel as well. And, and the other the other challenge too is is that where you're looking at these, and I don't just want to call them fine dining. Maybe we're calling them chef driven. These creative and innovative and progressive themed restaurants that we've opened in the warehouse district, the CBD, the French Quarter, they have no place to pull up and go in. You know, you, you, you typically don't have curb parking where you can go in and pick up your food to go and, and the rest. And the same with a delivery, a third party delivery company coming down there to pick it up. Where are they going to park? There's not a lot of loading zones. There's, and if they are, they're typically with deliveries being made and things. So, right. you know, they, they just weren't able to recover as quickly as that. PPP was absolutely a lifeline. The second round of PPP was a lifeline. But if you think about it, that funded about 24 weeks of what now is somewhere in the neighborhood of a 15-month or 60-week calamity. Um, right, right. You know, the, the, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund grants that came out of the American Rescue Plan, we had filed a bill in January called the Restaurants Act where we had asked for $120 billion for restaurants and bars and tap rooms and breweries and all of our caterers and small operations and hospitality. What we got was $28.6 billion. Right. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that they had over $80 billion in grant requests that came in for that, and they're only able to fund a third of them. Is that all done? Is that all spent? Well, it's trying to get that information out of SBA has been somewhat of a challenge okay. because there was a court challenge to it that the prioritization that it gave to women and veteran and socially, economic, uh, socially and economically disadvantaged businesses for the first three weeks – was uh, discriminatory. Uh, the court case hasn't been heard on that. It's just a judge issuing a restraining order, and SBA decided out of an abundance of caution, let's put a full stop on this. Let's look back at this. I know we have some operators have been funded. We have some operators that had commitments that they received Thursday or Friday that haven't been funded, may not get funded. So we're working. We, we dropped another bill, I believe, yesterday called the Restaurant Revitalization Fund Replenishment Act, that will pose putting about $60 billion in there. It's a, it's a bipartisan bill sponsored by Kristen Sinema from Arizona, who's a Democrat, Roger Wicker from Mississippi. Uh, we're trying to sign on six or eight more Republicans so that in the event this goes as a free bill, it can pass the cloture level and go past being a, being filibustered. Um, it could also be possible that the White House put something like this in uh, an infrastructure plan that they may push forward going through the process of reconciliation where it only takes a simple majority of 50 vote, 51 votes. So, you know, we're, we're still out there advocating for it. We're talking to our DC advocacy team every day. Uh, I've talked to both of our senators, our U.S. senators to ask them to co-sponsor this. They're considering it. They haven't turned us down yet. Uh, in the House side, it's a little bit more problematic. Uh, excuse me, less problematic because they just need a majority vote there. There's no, there's no, uh, filibuster in, in the, in the house. So, you know, we, we feel like that, that what our role is to do is to make sure that these types of big picture programs are out there, uh, that they can access. But when you talk to members of the, of Congress, you talk to senators, there's been over $4 trillion of COVID direct financial relief. 
Um, there's also some economic injury develop, uh, disaster loans still out there through SBA that were funded as part of COVID relief that I believe have a 3% interest rate for up to 30 years. So if you've got the ability to do that, that might be another lifeline for you. Um, but ultimately, you got to figure out how quickly can I get my staffing back? How quickly, if I'm a seven-day-a-week, two-shift-a-day restaurant, how quickly can I get back to that? And building my business back to where it was in February of 2020 when we were looking like we were going to have an incredibly great year here in New Orleans. Right. So predictions were that we would lose 30% of New Orleans restaurants or more. Uh, where are we now and how is that looking? And have you revised that number? I think we're probably, you know, and again, when we talked in November, it was before we got the second round of PPP. The last money we had had was in April. I think we're at about half that number right now. We've probably lost about 15% of our restaurants, probably the same number in our bars. It's a challenge. There's no banks that are going to loan you any money to to hold on. So if, if you've run through your credit cards, you've run through friends and family, you're just kind of slam out of luck right now. Uh, but I also believe if we don't, if we don't fund this next piece, which I consider kind of the, not really the icing, but it's really the cake itself. Let us get, let us get over this hump through the summer. You know what summers in New Orleans look like. They're not 100% capacity. The weather's hot. People aren't visiting here in the summer to the extent that they're visiting somewhere else. So all of those are going to be challenges. They're going to probably push down capacity. We had an amazing spring break season here. We had three or four weeks here that were just ungodly. We also had hotel general managers and sales managers stripping beds and pulling linens and putting them in the hallway because we just didn't have enough people. They they just don't have the ability to turn that over. And if you've stayed in a full-service hotel lately, um, what what full-service is defined as today is very different than what it was prior to COVID. It's interesting. You mentioned that earlier, and I wanted to ask, so is the problem that when you're slammed on Friday, Saturday, and you're empty Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's impossible to staff for the two scenarios? Right. You, you just you know You just can't pivot. People want to look and go, you know, boy, I went to a restaurant and it was busy. When did you go? Friday night at 8 o'clock. Well, it's going to be busy at Friday night at 8 o'clock. There's no question, Rich, that, that the social distancing that, that we had imposed on the industry made a difference in the healthcare outcomes. There's no question about that. But now we're doing it safely again because people are getting vaccinated. Yeah. People are much more aware of this. And, and like you, I, I don't know, but I stay within my pod of people a whole lot more now. Uh, I'm just not I'm not doing a lot of big social events and things like that. I'm heading uh, to watch a couple of base major league games next week. I, I don't mind putting a mask on to get on the airplane. I don't know what all those other people on the plane have been doing. Right. So right. I'm I'm going to do whatever I can to keep me and my family safe. Um, I, I think that we've come through this really, really well. Uh, we had great communication with the mayor. We had some disagreements with her all during the process. But, hey, we disagree sometimes when there's not a COVID pandemic. <laughs> um, we had great working relationships with the governor, the Department of Health, ATC, the state fire marshal, uh, GOSEP. You know, initially we were just fighting to find masks and nitro gloves and things of that sort. And we pivoted to what's the best way to reopen our economy? How do we get these things going? Um, I, you know, we finished the legislative session a week ago. Uh, Thursday. There are a lot of really good bills that came out of there and probably none more important for our industry than about $77 million in American Rescue Plan funds that the legislature uh, passed 
that will help with tourism promotion, tourism marketing, tourism sales development around the state. About 17 million of that will go to the Louisiana Office of Tourism uh, for the lieutenant governor to use. We also did a suspension resolution. Kirk Talbot, who's a senator who owns Lucky Dogs in the French Quarter, right. uh, Kirk passed a suspension resolution that li- that eliminates the restriction on the lieutenant governor's Office of Tourism spending that money in the state to to push more business in the state. Right now, the law says it's capped at 10% of what their budget is. So I think that's going to be really exciting to to have those dollars available. Does that mean they can market New Orleans to Monroe and vice versa? Absolutely. And I think think we're going to get those dollars early on in our fiscal year in July. So we think that money will be coming down from the federal government. At the same time, that same amount of money is going to come from the American Rescue Plan next year as well. So we're going to probably go back and look at how, how we've recovered. We have several areas in the state, in the southwest, in the Bayou area, in the Lafayette area, that had really good years from a, a hotel occupancy standpoint, but it was based on recovery or it was based on the oil business or it was based on something that wasn't traditional tourism driven. So these funds are going to be able to help New Orleans and company, Visit Baton Rouge, visit Acadiana, visit Shreveport. All of those different organizations make grant requests through the Department of Administration so that they can start revitalizing their their business model. Because I like to say it's like we have this great big ship that's hospitality for the state of Louisiana, but we need some fuel to put in it. Because while while we like to think as residents, the people come to New Orleans because they just want to and they've had a good experience before, that's about 8 or 10% of our visitors. That 90%, like you mentioned, that's the cruise line people. We have the longest cruise line stays before and after of any cruise departure market. We don't have any of our international lift. Our number one market for, tu- for tourist tra- international travel is Canada. Our number two market is the U.K., Neither one of them are coming right now. We don't have our British air flights, our nonstops. So we're, we've got to rebuild more than just a little bit of that. We've got to rebuild our association, our trade show business. We've got everything that we lost in 2020 and that we probably lost in 2021. We're going to have to rebuild to get it. And we may not get back in the rotation to 2025, 2026. We've got some great events coming. We've got a final four. We're on the hook for a Super Bowl in 2025. We've got a national foot, a, a college football playoff game next year. So we've got a lot of things in the hopper. We could start in September and really have an amazing eight or nine months through next May. So we could start the recovery there. But these big groups, these large meetings, the corporate meetings that are now worth have been maybe up to $2 billion a year toward hospitality year. They're not happening right now because we've got a lot of corporations that are working remotely. They're not doing group business. They're not doing any group meetings. They're doing just like me and you on Zoom today. And and while that's okay, I'm not necessarily certain that you're going to build a culture on Zoom. For people like you that are paying close attention to this, what do you think the order is going to be for these things to come back? If you're thinking about cruises, meetings, and international travel, what's the order that we get it back well, I think our quickest recovery is going to be the small group business meeting. The small when I say a small group, it's under 150 attendees. It's the lifeblood of our hotels in New Orleans. That is what they rely on. It puts people in their restaurant, it fills up their catering operation, and it fills up room blocks. 
And that type of business is really, really important to them. And it's been non-existent for 15 months. Right. Absolutely non-existent. So they're working with their sales team now that they know that there are no further restrictions because, you know, it's hard when you sign a contract with a hotel. It's got attrition in it. So if you don't fill this number of rooms, you owe them the revenue anyway. Well, a company doesn't want to have to rely on a force majeure clause in a contract saying that the pandemic restrictions meant that they couldn't come because the hotel owner may take it a different way. And so I think the hotels have been really smart in how they've gone about this. The people that got stuck with this that didn't have an option were our bar owners, uh, especially in New Orleans, where we've got a lot of restaurant conditional. I think we got up to 460 or 470 statewide, and there's typically 40 or 50. But when the mayor said that even restaurant conditional couldn't operate or, you know, they could only sell curbside or something along that line, that just that's not a bar. That's not what people I mean, it's a social spot. It's where neighborhoods gather. It's where friends meet. It's 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 all of that socialization. That's part of it. Now, maybe there was part of the pandemic that made sense for that. But think about how long it's going to take to recover our culture bearers, our musicians and all of those and our artisans that had to go somewhere else. Um, so, you know, you're sitting there and, and, and where they were going wasn't going to provide that kind of living to them that they're used to in their neighborhood. Right. It's it's a tough enough way to make a living as a musician. I got a brother and a sister in law who are both professional voice and voice singers, and you know their their work is is always been sporadic, but it's something that they're passionate about and they're good at. Right. And, and I think that that's part of what uniquely is the New Orleans brand. It's our food. It's our friendliness. It's the people from from culture. It's art. It's architecture. It's music. It's all of the people that make this happen. And then we've got some amazing attractions that have been bolted on to the city. You know, people forget Audubon can run fifty to 60,000 people through the zoo on a right. weekend. Right. And the bulk of those people are from the drive-in market. But they're driving in. They're spending the night. They're having a meal or two. That's great. The World War II Museum has added something to us that we didn't have. And it's continued to expand and become a great attraction. The the Audubon expansion on the riverfront, the renewal of the uh, aquarium, and what's going on around Woldenburg Park will be amazing. When we finish the riverfront park using those two docks that have been acquired to attach it to the Diamond Park and have this huge open riverfront, we're going to have a festival marketplace downtown like nothing we've ever imagined. So it, it's going to be really, really cool. It's just starting the engine back up. And finding those dollars from all of our industry partners that can fund finishing these projects. But they're definitely needed because we just don't have enough places for people to gather when we bring a lot of people into our tourist areas. Right. Okay, I got two more questions for you. Uh, it feels like with this traditionally quiet New Orleans summer, which may not be as quiet as it, as it ordinarily is because of this unusual circumstance, but the quiet summer leading to the busy fall where we're going to have jazz fest and French quarter fest and the saints and everything else. Uh, it almost feels like the same challenge uh, at a, uh, on a large scale that the restaurants are facing right now with these dead weekdays and busy weekends. So what, how are the restaurant owners that you talk to preparing for what could be uh, an epic, you know, October? They are looking at, at, at trying to backfill right now. You know, typically, when you're finishing up in May and going into June, that's going to be your slow period. Right. You know, it's the, it's the one thing our restaurants say that if a restaurant does 
high volume for the 12 month period, they know what three months are going to be pretty slow. And that's June, July, and August. Mm -hmm. Well, now they're going through something a little different. Instead of people uh, taking vacation and taking their family time and they're closing for the week at July 4th and doing things like that, they're looking to build staff. They're looking to figure out capacity because they're getting their phones are ringing for people that are coming to Jazz Fest. Their phones are ringing for people that come to French Quarter Fest, and they want to get back to living the life that they recall because we, we all feel like something was taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And many of us have lost loved ones and friends during COVID, and it, it's been horrible. But at the same time, when your business is at risk, you're trying to do whatever you can to stay resilient and, and to rebuild that. And so I think they're 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 trying to count their nickels and their dimes and figure out what they can afford. They're going to hold on to staff as long as they possibly can. But it's not going to work if if September 6th, when the federal supplemental unemployment ends, and everybody starts looking for jobs September 7th. We really do need to encourage people to look for jobs now. Next week is Restaurant Week, New Orleans, and we've got over 75 restaurants that are participating in that. During the middle of next week, I believe on Wednesday, we're doing a job fair at the convention center with New Orleans and company. I think that's going to be a shot in the arm. I think it'll be very different from the one we did last month. I think we'll see more interest. We've got about 100 employers that will come to that. Um, so, so we're continuing to, to push that. And, and I tell people, look, you've got an array of job choices if you want to work in hospitality, if you want to work in a hotel, if you want to work in a restaurant or a bar, you want to work for our supply chain. There's plenty of jobs out there if you want to do that. And look, you get to pick and choose. If you need an employer with an array of benefits and other things that you really think are important to you, you can find that. If you want someplace that you can make a lot more money and those benefits and the other structural things may not be as important to you, you can find that too. But, you know, the, 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 the culture of New Orleans is based on hospitality. And, and hospitality includes all of these culture bearers, all of the restaurants, all of the bars, all of the events and activities, and all of the attractions. We work really well together to, to work not against anyone's interest, but work at making the pie bigger for everybody. And I think that's what we're going to have to do this summer is we're really going to have to be planting a crop that we harvest this fall uh, because it's going to be very frustrating if we have market demand and we don't have the people in these roles to be able to fill that. And that would put us even further behind. So I'm hopeful that, that the, 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 the labor demand and the labor availability will work together and close that gap a little bit. I don't know what the governor is going to do on the federal unemployment stimulus. We passed a bill the last day of the session that he signed into law that in, increases the weekly benefit in January for unemployment. If he declines the federal by July 31st, I just don't know if he's going to do that yet. He's waiting on a, an economic study. We've participated in it. The people that are doing it have talked to a lot of restaurant people, a lot of hotel people, a lot of retail people, a lot of people in healthcare, just to try to find out, you know, is, is, are these things correlated? So I'm sure he'll make a good decision. He'll make the right decision that he feels like he should be making. And that's his, that's within his purview. Uh, we have a good relationship as far as a working relationship with the governor and his team. I think that he has been challenged beyond challenge with the number of name storms, our floods, and then a freeze earlier this year in March that killed all the redfish in Texas. So we're fighting for redfish right now. 
Um, I mean, I've never seen the seafood supply chain under such stress. So, uh, you know, whether it's oysters, whether it's crab, uh, whether it's shrimp, some of the shrimp, white shrimp are coming in right now. They're absolutely gorgeous. There's just not enough domestic product to be able to meet all of the demand. Uh, but the price isn't, isn't equating to the shrimpers making more money. So again, we look at all of those things. I, I spend 10, 15% of my time just on seafood issues wow. because it's that important to what we do because I'm fond of telling people it's not just how we prepare food in Louisiana. It's what we prepare. You know, I was in Nashville the other day and they, they, you know, beautiful piece of sauteed tilapia. Well, that to me is like the, the fish that I check out with. That's, that's the last choice, right? I'll eat catfish before I eat tilapia. And I don't dislike tilapia. It's just, it's, there's nothing unique about it, right? But you get I mean, from Costco, you know? Right. If you're in Kansas City eating salmon, it wasn't grown in Kansas City. But, yeah. I was, I was on a vacation up in the Northeast the other day and I was somewhere far inland and, one of my kids was going to order some kind of a seafood, and I was trying to explain that you, you tend to order the food that comes from the waters near where you are. <laughs> yeah, I want to eat the if, – if I'm in Minnesota, I'm going to eat muskie and walleye, okay? Right. If I'm in Chicago, I'm eating lake perch. If I'm if I'm in Maine and I'm on the, on the east seaboard up there, I'm eating lobster. I'm going to eat it <laughs> until I can't eat it anymore because it's $30 a pound down here, and it's $5 a pound up there. Right. Looking ahead from here, we've been through all this – what what is the biggest threat that you see to the health of the restaurant industry going forward, and then what makes you hopeful? Well, I think the I think the biggest threat to us is not getting this extra round of, of restaurant revitalization grants done. I think that's really important to our bars and our restaurants because they just don't have any other place to go get it, and they still need to recover, and they've got to get through this summer because the summer, you know, this isn't this isn't a beach resort where people go to the beach. This isn't a place that has big theme parks. So you know, we're 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 not going to compete with them in the summer. We've got to hold it together. What am I most encouraged by? is how hard people have worked and how how creative they've been over the last 15, 16 months. They're coming to us, reinventing themselves, reinventing their business, adjusting their cost cycle. When I look at some of my favorite restaurants and I look at their menu and they've got 12 entrees instead of 24 and they've got four appetizers instead of 12, I know that's hard for them because their creativity is what makes them so unique. But they're also being smart because they're adjusting it to their staffing, the supply chain, and they're trying to keep it where it's attractive cost-wise for people to come and eat with them. Right, right. Because we just don't have huge price elasticity here. This is not a town that has normal corporate travel. A city like Atlanta, 25, 30% of their business is corporate travel that's there because the headquarters of these big businesses are there. Uh, Dallas has that. Houston has that. We don't right. have that. So for for us, we've got to rely on tourism. We've got to rely on travel. We've got to rely on events to be able to bring people in and meetings. So, um, and those things have to be sold. So ho- hopefully, we'll be able to start using some of this American Rescue Plan dollars and plant those seeds and start building our economy back. But I really think the thing I'm most proud of, and, and I think that I'm most hopeful of, is that our folks aren't going to give up. They're going to keep fighting through it. We had a good legislative session. We had a lot of good things done in the in the legislature. We passed a lot of alcohol bills that are going to allow us to do some things. We added ready-to-drink alcohol to restaurant delivery. So, I mean, those are things that, that we fought over three or four years ago that we couldn't get done. But because of everyone seeing what our industry has gone through, they're much more open about it. They're much more 
interested in trying to help us get these things done. So I feel very, very good about that. Well, that is, that is encouraging. Stay here. Thanks for talking to us and giving us these updates. Anytime, Rich. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.